Hello, all. Thank you again for joining us for Episode 7 of the Opinionated Stance Podcast. Please do me a huge, huge favor if you haven't done it yet. Um, go to Twitter right now. Follow us there. Go to iTunes. Subscribe to the podcast. Go to Google Play. If you like Google Play, subscribe there. Also, make sure you go to YouTube and subscribe to the channel there. We are watching the entire internet, and we're making sure you do this. So if you have any comments, questions, and show ideas, please reach out. We always love to hear the feedback. And let me tell you, excited for tonight. Um, tonight, we have another great treat for you. My, uh, my guest for the podcast today is a veteran real estate broker who represents some of Chicago's fastest growing startup firms and firms in general. We'll be talking to him today to find out what it needs to, what you need to know when it comes to finding your right home for your company, regardless of what stage your company is at, and also how an individual can get involved in their local startup community. Let me give a warm and resounding welcome to my guest, Craig McCaw. Craig, how's it going tonight? Very well. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Um, for people who don't know you or don't know about you or haven't heard about you on the internet and don't know the man, the myth, and the legend, please tell them a little bit about yourself. Sure. Craig McCaw, at Craig McCaw on the Twitter. And I've been a commercial real estate broker here in Chicago for going on 13 years with a company called MB Real Estate, uh, Chicago-based, owned out of New York, and represent companies across the Americas and a uh, little bit here and there in Europe. That's awesome. So you love being in buildings, so you spend a lot of time in your elevators probably, right? Yes. Up and down. Fascinated by architecture. That's great. Uh, well, Chicago's pretty fantastic place to be doing the architecture stuff, right? Absolutely. That's good. So first off, we're going to talk about buildings. We're going to talk about companies and we're going to talk about office spaces. So what different types of office spaces are available for different startups and companies? Uh, it's, you know, it depends on what the company needs, what phase they are in their, in their growth, you know, starting off, you could be working out of a Starbucks and utilizing a, a breather space, which are just kind of on demand meeting spaces around around Chicago. Um, you could use a desk pass, which is kind of like a class pass for yoga where you could go around and use uh, you know, a gym twice in any month or something like that. Def desk pass has kind of a similar program uh, for co-working spaces. Okay. So you can work out of any co-working space in the desk pass you know, program. In their ecosystem. Uh, in their ecosystem. Good job. Yeah. And uh, and pay a you know monthly fee for those those uses until you really figure out you know where you want to be long term, and then you you know escalate into a co-working space. So we work. Uh, there's you know tons of them around around Chicago, almost two million square feet of co-working spaces. Of co-working spaces. So that's not just we work related. That's just like different co-working spaces. Correct. Okay. So we work is one co-working space. Let's. What are some other the different co-working spaces like? Are there stuff in different neighborhoods that I can go find? Or is it mainly isolated to the loop itself? Is it River North? Or where are the hotspots for certain companies if they're trying to look for stuff? No, they're, they're all over the place. I would say the, you know, the highest concentration of them is you know, going to be the loop and River North and the West Loop, Fulton Market you know, areas. But there are you know, great organizations on the west side of town, on the south side of town, in Andersonville. They're all over the place. Okay, so it's kind of, I think it goes back to what you were saying. There's like, you know, it's mama bear, papa bear, and little bear, right? You know, you get to like, oh, this might be not the right one for me. This one be too big, too small, and sometimes there's just right. So you got to figure out what size your company is and for that just right, correct? Yeah. Okay, so 
let's let's create a hypothetical situation. Okay, let's say we have a company. We're going to start a company right now. Okay, awesome. let's shake a hand right here. We started a company. 60-40 uh, split? 60-40, yeah. My 60? Well, we'll figure that out later. Um, let's say we're going to be making uh, the best authentic taco shell website. Okay, mm. so we're going to take and do a marketplace that sells like vintage authentic taco shells. Okay, it's a revolutionary industry. We're going to start this, uh, this website. Um, and it's just you and me right now. We're going to grow. What type of space would you recommend for us right now? We haven't had any funding. We haven't had anything like this. We're, we're just like literally fresh, fresh, vintage, authentic taco shells. Yeah, I'm probably, I mean, doesn't sound very clean, but, you know, well, the we're garage, just, if we're you just, will. We're just building the, the office. We're not making the shells. We're just building a marketplace for people to ch- transfer and share their shells. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's a tech company. There you go. I'm starting out as bare bones as, as possible, trying to minimize, you know, my costs, even, even after you know, your first round or your second round of, of funding, um, you know, you're trying to do as, as much with as little as possible. Right. So the big thing that comes into question is like, I know how to write code and stuff and I can get our taco shell website up and probably, you know, in a couple of days. Right. And mm-hmm. we can start to have customers and we can start to do this. And, you know, our taco shell business is starting to boom and we can go and get all the guac we want. We know that guac's extra. So we're going to pay for that. Um, we have customers and now we're seeing the need to bring on other people. Um, and we may have some funding now. What yep. are some spaces, some transitionary spaces that uh, companies can look for? And what are some things that in that time frame, like when you're starting to grow that you would recommend them to like consider that they may not have considered? Because again, I said, I'm a technical guy. I'm a software person. I may not be advert or, um, in depth of the knowledge of the market for mm-hmm. real estate. So what are some things that I need to know as I'm trying to like, is this just like me going to find an apartment or is this a little bit different of a task? Yeah. It's a, a total different animal than finding an apartment. And the things uh, that people I think don't realize is that it takes a lot more time. Okay. People think, Oh, I can go in, find a space and be in, in two weeks or something like that. And that's, you're going to be lucky if you have a lease document in your hand in two weeks, it's going to take you a month, month and a half to two months to get through a pretty simple lease document. By the time you go back and forth, you know, two or three times with the, with the lawyers making comments. Okay. And then you have to wire the space, get everything set up so that you can get in and, and hit the ground running. So you, you know, even if you're a small company, you need to be looking into this, you know, four and five months in advance, not a month in advance, like you might do with an apartment. Okay. So this is, this is a long-term place. So yeah. you're, if we're looking at it a month in advance, we just sold a hundred thousand new subscriptions to our taco website. Right. Okay. And so we have that this month, but we may only sell 30,000 next month or 10,000 the month after that. There's no like guarantees on there. So what do you recommend for people that have unclear financial projections, but they know that they're growing and starting to trend? Like do you say just, okay, screw it. I'm just going to go and get the best space. Or do you say, what are your recommendations? Should they take and hold out? Like, are there options that they can sublease, do other things? Cause they know that they have these two competing needs. They have to find a space that if they want to grow their business, they need to go into, but then they also had the finite resources. Like I got to pay these people and I got to pay for this space. Yeah. And you obviously account for a lot of those details when you're doing the planning process. There's a lot of upfront, you know, getting to know you, getting to know your business that 
goes into, you know, which direction I recommend you go in. And so if it's fluctuating that much, you're not going to want to do anything that's not month to month right? in some sort of a co-working in, environment where you're not going to be penalized if all of a sudden you have to, you know, cut back by 50%. Okay. So let's say our company grows again and we found a space that we're looking at and it's, it's perfect for us, but we went from now 10 people to we had massive awesome growth and we went from 10 people to 50 people and we mm-hmm. know in the next five years we're going to go to 100 people what advice or why what can you do to help like a company develop that strategy for figuring out okay this is not just the office i'm going into next but maybe i need to grow into this or into the next like it's all about a plan right like yeah a, a future plan so what like what do you do like what would you do for our taco company i would put us into either a sublease space or a spec suite. A spec suite is a space that a landlord takes a vacant space, builds it completely out, you know, with a set number, you know, maybe they put three or four offices, a couple of phone rooms, mm-hmm. a conference room, a break area, and then just open space for workstations. And they put everything, everything is in the space, ready to go, sometimes furnished, sometimes not. And all you have to do is come in, pay for wiring, and you're up and running. Okay. So that's that's kind of you're going to look for either a space like that or a sublease space that is has everything all put together. All you have to do is switch uh, the cable service and the internet service over into your name. Yeah. So just change the billing over. It's like it would be like subleasing an apartment. It. Yeah. It, a little bit close to it. So, but aren't there like aren't there do people sometimes get like companies sometimes get a little bit too large of a space and they're like, okay, we really don't need this 56 person office. We only have 20 people, but we'll need it in the next year. Are there opportunities for companies that can um, potentially like broker their way into like renting a couple desks inside of a space? Is that something that you've seen in the past? Like, yeah, like shared spaces. Is that a common thing? Yeah. There's uh, groups you know, out there who have taken large pieces of space and maybe the founders of those groups have a angel investing, you know, group. Sure. On the, as a side business, but you know, they are the majority owners in these things. You can put lease language in that allows you to not trigger any kind of default or, you know, assignment of a, of a lease. And sorry, these are uh, annoying legal terms, but I think they're good because these you are can, things we don't know. Yeah, you can you can set it up so that any company that you have a partnership with, you have you know tenant affiliates. There's a number of different legal terms that you can name these things, but it all just boils down to control of those entities. Sure. And if you control 50% of those entities, they can lease space from you without triggering anything. Okay. So companies will do that so that, and kind of as a way of banking that space for future growth. Nice. So it's a way to like also not waste money on it because you pay like as much as we think about it, like you're paying per square foot. So if you're not utilizing all square feet, why are you paying for it? Right? Yeah. I mean, you're simple economics right there. It's just expensive to move and it's a hassle to move. Yeah. And so you want to do it as, uh, as few times as, as possible while still, maintaining your expansion space. And you can do that also rather than just taking excess space and, and banking it with, you know, other partners, you can just have expansion options where you just knock down a wall and you have another 4,000 square feet sure. that you can expand into, you know, next to you for your next 40 employees. 
so I think the moral of this is like, don't bite off too much that you can't chew. Don't outkick your coverage, but know that you need to be planning it well in advance for whatever you're trying to do. So it's like, it's almost like, well, you shouldn't do this, but you need to plan for this. It's like, it's a very fluid it's thing, a, but that's where you come in to help that relationship. Yeah. Um, and no, go. they're, they're expensive, expensive problems either way. If you, you know, outkick your coverage or if you underplan and play it too safe, there's, there's a fine line in the middle and that's why it, it makes sense to work with someone like me. Yeah. So how often do things come into the marketplace that you see that like, you would reach out to like a company and say, Hey, I think you'd be great for this space. Or is this, or is it more like somebody reaches out to you and will be like, I want to take and find like, how is the, the relationship generally started with, to be able to work with you or somebody in your, it's a little of both. Sometimes it's, you know, previous clients have a friend that they know is running a growing company and they need to ramp up their office space. So they'll introduce them to me via email or, through you know an event that you know we're sponsoring yeah. or or participating in help helping organize uh there's a lot it's typically we're reaching out to other people mm-hmm. um you know in the business for 13 years you have a lot of connections to right. those people so it makes it a little easier so that's a great i want to highlight that you've been in the business you've been in the business personally for 13 years so i haven't been in the business at all so i know diddly squat about commercial real estate. I know that there's offices and people work there and somehow there's rent is paid and people continue. I know a little bit more than that, but (laughs) um, so what are some things that might be unknown for a company um, that is looking for an office space? Like when you're going into it. So like, I know that I got to pay somebody, but, and how do I know when to pay them? Like, how do I know these things? Like, how do I know these, like all these different legal loopholes, not loopholes, but like, legalities and things I need to know to take and do that. Is it just research early on? Like, no, well, we walk you through it. It's, it's a tedious process. Everything is, is laid out in the lease document and you're going to have a real estate attorney, you know, review that to make sure that you're, you're protected. All these documents are, are very landlord favored. Okay. And the real estate attorney's job in the lease, in the lease review process is to, you know, kind of, tailor that back a little bit and make sure that your, uh, your interests are protected in there as well. Yeah. Cause you want the relationship to be good for anybody. You don't want to take and make it too one-sided because then, you know, if no one feels good, somebody's going to leave and the landlord doesn't want a tenant business to leave and you don't want to have to move again because moving's a pain in the ass. Well, you don't want to have certain things in the lease document that would trigger, you know, adverse events. Right. And, uh, it's there to protect the landlord, but it also protects the tenant as well. So and one of the other big things that that people don't think about when negotiating is the impact impact that everything has on the security deposit. Okay. So the landlord. Yeah. Elaborate on that. A I landlord. No a landlord is taking their tenant improvement allowance, the rent abatement, um, the brokerage commissions. They're taking all of this. You know, those are all just kind of that, and the rental mm-hmm. rate are all just pieces of the pie. Yeah, and as you shift those pieces around and ask for more, it affects your security deposit as well. So your okay. security deposit can be twenty to fifty percent of the landlord's total out-of-pocket costs. So you, 
as an early that could be a stage. lot of that's a lot of money that's a lot of scratch that you and, gotta put up and that's why early stage companies should be looking for spaces that either have an existing conditions or subleases they need su- infrastructure that's already built into the space that someone else accounted for okay that way it's not factored into their security deposit so it's not necessarily that it's it's a bad thing you may for a company to go in and take and be a tenant of another, uh, basically, would it be subleasing at that point if there's another organization already there working, or is it like co-mingling or cohabitating? No, this it's more of an example of someone else vacated that space to okay. move on to another one, and they left behind, you know, a nice the intact space. Yeah, <laughs> not quite the carcass. Well, the but, shell. Yeah. Of, yeah. Um, that's interesting. So. One of the things that we talk about just in general, like, and I know businesses and tech, like there's open offices versus like closed offices and the effects that those different things have on company culture. When we're like, so our taco website, if we came out of the garage or the apartment and we're starting to do this and going into a space that's there, um, what are some things that we can do early on to potentially have company culture? Like, and that's a very loose term. Like it's vague and it can go in any direction you can think of, but usually you like to take some pride or ownership and it's like, okay, do we just slap our logo on the wall? Or like, what are some things that um, you help clients look for when they're trying to build out the the dream office, the perfect space? Well, we're looking at what they're using the space for. Okay. You know, if this is a heavy sales organization, and everybody's going to be in workstations or if you have a huge you know population of developers and those people need their their quiet space like you can't put those people next to the sales staff and just say oh put your earbuds in and yeah. and you'll be fine no you you need some some separation but you still have to keep the company as a as a cohesive unit so i mean you can do a lot with space that will help company mm-hmm. culture but it's company culture is all about the people your your hr functions are critical and as a young company you know we are the hr function right because you're not having a full staff you know you're not hr having... individual yeah absolutely so it's it as a young company it's about you know communication bringing in the right people and then as you grow it's okay how do we keep these groups you know together going after the same mission while still maybe giving them them kind of their own space to work and do their you know kind of quiet space, mm-hmm. and then bring everybody together with some sort of kind of town hall space, right? Whether it you know doubles as the cafeteria uh, or break room, if you will, um, and other kind of similar breakout areas in the space. Yeah. So, like, what are some of the spaces that you've seen? Just like the, in the sh- like you've been in and out of spaces. There's been startups here in Chicago, what are some of the spaces that you've that thought have just been absolutely amazing? Uh, Review Trackers has an awesome office. They have a, a ton of space that they've kind of built for, you know, different ev- events and, and training, you know, programs that they put on that then also act as future growth for the company. And there's a lot of companies that have just thought out their you know, they're playing well and, and right. design things, not just for today, but for, okay, what, what are we going to need this space for in, in two years? Yeah. You make it modular and then you know your options to take and go forth. So that, that gets to the point of like, 
why it doesn't take just a month to take and do this process of switching. It's more of like that four month, five month process to like really understand and articulate what the value is of like what space I'm trying to get. What am I trying to get for this particular objective? So I can see that's why you spend, want to spend time with people early on yeah. Um, to take and figure out what those needs are. Like, cause at the end of the day, the worst thing that can happen is someone gets this space that they, you know, have a huge security deposit, don't know what they can do. They just get dinged on something and it's not going to allow them to grow their business because ultimately we want to see them grow into another space into another yeah. space into, you know, the taco burrito tower that we're going to build for our internet taco vintage website, you know? Yeah. Um, that's cool. So just kind of going back a little bit about like workable spaces. Do we think that like, what are your thoughts about just like, open open office space like in like in tech companies and stuff like that's the big thing right now and i i know you said about like this the sales stuff like that what, what do you think is the trend going to be more office spaces that are going to be open are people moving to like more closed stuff like because you have this like work from home mm-hmm. for a lot of people is a good way to do that because you get to be able to focus so how do you take in like manage those focus opportunities with those like communal opportunities. Yeah. It's, if you look at it like a pendulum, you had, everybody had an office at, at one point and then it came totally to the other side where everything was way too wide open mm-hmm. and it's, it'll settle back somewhere in the middle. Right. It's, uh, you know, at some point so much open up, you can only sell the, you know, the idea that, oh, this is for collaboration and culture and blah, 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 all this stuff. No, at some point it's a distraction. Right. And it will pair back a little bit. And I think what, what people found was they thought that they could swing all the way to the left and have it totally open and uh, just get everybody in there as, as dense as possible. And then they found that they needed breakout spaces. They needed private time, mm-hmm. somebody you know, needs to take a personal phone call or call a doctor or something like that during the middle of the day and they need somewhere to pop in and take that call without all of their neighbors hearing them. Right. And so you started adding some of those pieces back into the space. And now, you know, from an efficiency standpoint, you're not so far apart. You right. are kind of settling back in the middle. And I think that's that's going to be the way of the future. It's never going to go back to, you know, totally closed off because people collaborate a lot more across every industry way right. more than just you know tech companies and and startups they so were talking about pharmaceutical companies and banks everybody is going to a more open collaborative environment and that's that's the way of the future and i think it's it's just going to become more and more modular yeah so do you primarily work with tech companies or do you work with any type of organization that's trying to take and find their next home yeah all all kinds of organizations i work a lot in the financial services sector with okay. banks insurance companies private equity firms, uh, and then also with kind of creative groups, whether it's an advertising agency or a tech startup. And then we also work with pharmaceutical companies, uh, kind of runs the gamut as far as what uh, what types of, of groups we work with. But a, a lot of them are uh, are growing companies that, sure. that need you know our attention and our speed to market. Yeah. Let's throw out another hypothetical. We're going to dispel. We might come back to the taco company later, but let's just say I'm an angel investor and I'm also, I'm investing in a bank and I also invest in an advertising agency that I've started. I've got like 
Scrooge McDuck kind of money, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, you know, just diving into like pot of gold and all that stuff. Great visual. Yeah. And I'm just tired of the, the rainy Silicon Valley stuff. And I want to take and move my corporate headquarters from California to Chicago because I want to be within a flight to the East Coast. I want to be centrally located so all my managers can come not waste days on airplanes flying out across the country. Um, I'm in California all the time. That's where my primary residence is until mm-hmm. I make this move in this transition. How do I take and start to take and avail myself of your services uh, while I'm in California to help me start to find this? Because A, I just picked Chicago because it's the best city for pizza. I don't know anything about the market. I don't know where to live. I'm looking for everything. My employees are starting to move. So how do you take and work on not only just the like the hard tangible facts of I need 60,000 square feet for this headcount, but also think about that in a play where somebody might be moving in an organization from outside, like moving corporate headquarters from even across the country or from the suburbs of Chicago. How does that play into things? It doesn't, I mean, in today's age, so much is done via email and, and phone calls that Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter if somebody's here or in China, the, the process is, is relatively similar. At some point they're going to have to come out and, and see if, if they can't, we can, you know, load it into a video tour and, and email it to them. Well, so like if they come out, you're going to show me all the best pizza places to come to and all that stuff, right? By the yeah. office and all the different, the, so, because that's part of the culture too. It's like, not, it's not just the building. It's not just the guts yeah. of it. It's the, it's, it's a perk of being where it is. Yeah. So No, we know Chicago like the back of our hand okay. and I'm not just telling someone, Hey, this is, you know, this nice office and it has 30 workstations and 10, you know, offices inside of it and blah 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 it's it's no this is this office these are the previous two tenants who occupied this space this is why they left the space this is what's around the corner this is why this is a great facility for your people because maybe they're coming into ogilvy versus the red line right and there's a lot more just learn knowledge that uh that goes into into it than you know hey here's what's in our database yeah I'm just going to look and see this. Oh, it's vacant for 120 days. We'll tell, you know, this corporation to go look at it. So one of the things that we've seen a lot, like if we've been keeping up with the the local real estate market is we've seen some big companies start to start to move downtown. Wasn't mm-hmm. there one this week that announced? Uh, Caterpillar. Yeah. From bringing their headquarters from Peoria. Like Peoria McDonald's from Oakbrook is moving down to Fulton market, which is just down yep. the street. So, studios. Yeah. Um, so what are we like? Why are we seeing this influx of larger corporations starting to move to the city uh, versus, you know, being in the suburbs? Is this like a trend that we're going to see going along for a long time? Is this something that's hyper local to just the Chicago market, or is this something that we're seeing cross country? Uh, it's kind of twofold. You have a lot of baby boomers who are getting to retirement age, so even more so than normal, the focus is on hiring young talent mm-hmm. and. To play the scenario game, you're 22 years old, sure. 21, however old you are when you graduate college, and you move to Chicago. Do you want to take a job in Schaumburg, or do you want to work downtown? Nothing wrong with Schaumburg. Nothing wrong not, with Schaumburg. Not anything but, wrong with that. You know, I grew up in, right. in Atlanta. I, I don't like traffic. Right. Do I want to, you know, spend an hour, hour and a half of my day, morning and night, to, you know, drive to work, or do I want to walk to work? 
and go to the gym that's two blocks away and stop at Whole Foods that's two more blocks away on my way home. So it's, it's a, so they're coming down for talent. Okay, so it's a, it's a talent and retention thing. Yeah. So it's not a like, oh, we're going to build the corporate headquarters uh, one mile away from the CEO's house and it's going to be everybody else has to go out there to the corporate headquarters. And those those things still happen and there's there's a lot of businesses that do very well hiring in the, out in the suburbs. Now, do you also do stuff like in the suburbs as well? Like yeah. do you so you find office spaces so if that's the if that's the direction of that business that they want to go is stay with like a more of like a corporate campus stuff mm-hmm. you can take and look at that particular yeah um, yeah we can find you an office space if you're large enough we'll build you an office yeah because i think a lot of times sometimes companies are just getting to the point where you know they are tired of having <laughs> tired of being right on the brown line with the the every time the train goes by i see the train coming by right now it just rattles the walls it's like that sometimes could be a sign that we might need to get out of here until a different part of the town and stuff like that. Yeah, but it's uh, some people like that. For a long time, uh, Centro uh, Media Company was up wh- right north of the Merchandise Mart, which mm-hmm. has become a big, you know, kind of sector for the tech community. It was right where the train zigzags from Wells over to Franklin. And you know that's got to be the and, most quiet intersection of all time. But <laughs> what you what owners do is they put non-operable windows that are double paned okay. on the exterior of the building and you hardly hear the train going by. Right. And then it becomes, this is, this is cool. This is, this is Chicago. We were working with a company looking at uh, 225 West Wacker, which is right on the bend of the river. And you can see the train that goes north over Wells and you can see the train that goes west over Lake. And this is kind of a newer, newer trend as well. They had the choice of taking the 24th floor or the fifth floor okay. in a building. And back in the day, it was always, I want the highest floor with the best views and blah, blah, blah. And even in Chicago where you can't see out the window, you know, 60% of the year. uh, Now these companies are taking the fifth floor. And why? Because they can see the trains. They have the the energy of the, of the street. It's just a whole, whole different ecosystem, a whole whole different, um, you know, design process that people are looking at these days. That's interesting. I never thought about that. Like you'd want to be down, I guess. Well, that's why I'm here on the fourth floor versus the 26th floor. I can look out and see the freeway right there. You know, it's pretty, I guess. Yeah. There is some noise like out of the, the West loop studio that we are in. Um, but it's pretty amazing. So I can, I can see that you get to like, you actually feel like you're in a city. So yeah. You're not secluded up in the clouds. Yeah, which is it, some people like that too. Yeah, but the views aren't bad up there. Yeah, but you got to start from the bottom, right? Mm-hmm. And then now we are here, or something like that. If we talk about hip hop references, okay. Um, so just to like kind of maybe you know bring this to a close, Chicago's an architecture town. We talk about one of the best activities that you can do in. Uh, Chicago during the summer is, mm-hmm. you know, grab a beer or two and hit on one of those uh, boats and watch the architecture. Like it is amazing if you haven't done it. So putting me on the spot, favorite building of all time, five, four, three, two, one, go. What 77 West Wacker. Okay. Which building is that? It is the built. It was United's headquarters. Okay. Before they moved into Willis tower. Okay. So they had their executives at 77 West Wacker, and then they had the uh, call center operations. Everything was in, in Willis Tower. They have since sublet the space at 77 and, and moved everybody into Willis. But 
it's just it's kind of the the big square glass and uh, white column building. It looks like something you know from Greece. Yeah, you know like more the so than on just like straight yeah, up like exactly. Whoa. And it's it's just something extremely unique. I I love all like it architecture and I I love the Gothic stuff and um, you know kind of a across the board. But that's always been my favorite building in Chicago. Yeah, I like looking down LaSalle down at the sea or was it the Board of Trade? Yeah. Uh, just that's one of the greatest views that you can see is like you stand up at like, let's see, Lake and LaSalle or just mm-hmm. like you just go past like the Thompson Center and you just look down there and, you know, you look at the Board of Trade, which is just boom, the street runs right into it. And yeah. I mean, that's like that part of town is amazing, too. And yep. like they filmed a ton of movies down there, which yeah. is amazing. it kind of has the same effect as like the MetLife building in New York. Yes, exactly. And it's like they filmed that they filmed uh, Dark Knight there, like yeah. one of the, like a lot of scenes there. But like one of the buildings that I love is also like it's I love it because of the sheer size and how massive it is. Merch Mart, mm-hmm. like that is like, isn't it true that it's one zip code? Like historically, it was one. I don't know if it still is. It was at at one point it had its own zip code, and it is the largest. At one point, it was the largest building in the city of Chicago, mass wise. Yeah, mass wise, like in terms of square footage. It's how tall is it? Oh, it's only like when it goes up into the tower. I think it's twenty four or twenty something along along those lines. There's yeah. some tower floors at the top that are like twenty thousand square feet. Yeah, it to me it always reminds me of a perfect Chicago building. It's short, it's stocky, broad shoulders. It's get it gets the job done, right? Yeah, that's it's a, cool. It's a lineman. It's a, yes, it is. So, like, what are some things? Um, just like kind of wrapping up on office spaces, what are you thinking? Like, do you have any things that you want to share that we may not have covered on offices? Like, I think you did a great job of just explaining like what, um, I didn't realize that you needed to take and have four months in advance, five months in advance. I knew that there was like time, but I didn't think it was. And that's for a, a smaller space for larger spaces. You know, we're looking 12 months, 24 months, you know, people that's actually, that's a good point. Another thing that people don't understand is it's not like a residential lease where you sign a 12 month lease and you're stuck. Okay. You can, if you signed a lease for 10 years, you're likely renegotiating that after seven. Very rarely do you ever get to the end of a a lease. Once you get to, you know, a significant size Sure. where we are looking at, you know, projects for companies with, 400, 500 employees, and you're even renegotiating rates early in exchange for extending by another 10 years. Okay. So you're doing a deal for, you know, if you did it five years early, you're doing it for 15 years total, but maybe there's a drop in the rate after, you know, for the last three years of that or something along those lines. There's, there are a lot of ways to, you know, negotiate these transactions and, as you get larger, the earlier you start looking into it. Yeah. So does the price fluctuate? Does the market change from if I'm looking like now, February versus April, does, is the market going to change drastically in terms of price per square foot? Or is it more change like, like over the long period of time, it's a more of a long focus instead of a short focus. It's definitely more of a long focus and, and Chicago in general doesn't fluctuate as, as much as the coast in, you know, late 08, 2009, when the market tanked, mm-hmm. you had buildings in New York that were leasing for $120 a square foot wow. that dropped to 80. Wow. 
And in Chicago, a building that was maybe leasing for $30 a square foot went to 28 or 29 and maybe they uh, pared back a little bit on their rent abatement and, and TI pa- tenant improvement packages. Okay. It, it, you didn't have the, the huge you know, peaks and valleys that you see uh, more so on the, on the coast. And some of that just comes to the amount of supply and demand. Yeah. So first off, just to segue off of that, like one of the things that I just picked up is if you don't know what rent abatement or a TI package is, you need to take to talk to somebody like Craig because they can explain to you what that is. I have <laughs> no idea. Like I know tenant improvement, they probably give you a bunch of stuff so you can like con- like concessions or like, hey, we're going to put these mini blinds in or we're going to give you a projector or this or some improvements into the space, right? Yeah. Because it's pretty bare bones. Like they'll, people will work with you. Like mm-hmm. landlords will work with you to make it, make it your home as yeah. long as you're going to work with them to stay there for a while. Yep. No, you you typically get a month of free rent, rent abatement, whether that's you know gross or your your base rent plus your tax and operating expenses or just the base rent, is up for negotiation, and then five to six dollars a square foot per lease year that you okay. sign. So that's why as you get larger and you have a harder time finding a space that fits you know perfectly for your use and you're stuck with taking a space from raw condition and building it out yourself, that's why companies signed longer term leases, even if they know that they're gonna grow out of that space in, in three or four years. So does the company pay for the construction costs or do the, does the landlord pay for it? Above and beyond that, that tenant improvement allowance. Yeah. The company pays for it and the company, companies pay for the wiring of spaces. Okay, so if you wanted like to have gold everything above that allowance, you're paying for it. So like you can get this, like you can, Take X, Y, Z, but if you, you get the guac, you know, you're going to pay yeah. for that. Extra. You want the opulence, you hear it. Yes, exactly. You're paying for it too. Exactly. Um, well, that's cool. So, like, you got to think about construction costs in this too. So, like, if you want a Rolls Royce, you can, if you got the, if you got the Benjamins, you can totally get it. But if you don't, you know, you might want to take in, you know, just stay within your tenant or improvement allowance, correct? Yeah. That's cool. So, what is the market right now? Um, I see a lot of cranes around. Mm-hmm. Like there's cranes in the Fulton market area. Google just went down the street. Um, there's cranes all the way down downtown. Uh, are we at a more of a supply, higher demand? Like where are we at like market wise in terms of like commercial space? And also like, even if you can comment on like residential space, like, cause in order to have people work in these places and if people are moving down, they got to live here too. So like, yeah. what is the, like, is there a correlation between the amount of, residential and commercial going in mm, yeah indirectly yeah but they're of the cranes you see in chicago 96 percent of those are residential or a hotel okay you know there's been a few a couple new office towers launched this year you have the mcdonald's building going up google obviously finished uh 1330 west fulton is where Sterling Bay is moving their headquarters. A number of other companies have have almost filled that that building out completely. Dyson uh, Vacuums just announced that they're going there. Uh, that building's almost almost filled now. Uh, Sterling Bay's got a couple more you know projects in Fulton Market. Shape uh, Hack Partners has a bunch of stuff going on. So it's there's a lot of stuff in the pipeline, and there's definitely demand for that because back to what I was saying earlier, when the market crashed in 2008, 2009, we didn't have any development. Yeah. Until well, we no had, could finance it. Yeah. Well, and 
it just wasn't risky. a good a- yeah. economy for it in, yeah. in general for as far as who's going to fill that space. Exactly. And so we had a longer period of zero development than I can ever remember. Okay. And so now it's, it's you know, there's still plenty of supply, but we're playing catch up a little bit for, you know, those years of, of non-construction. Okay. So if you want to find space, you can find it, but just do your homework and get there. Uh, yeah. Get that figured out, you know, well in advance and, you know, address the goals and your needs of what you're trying to do. Um, just on like office spaces, tell me why you love doing what you do. It's, it's nice having a direct effect on a company's bottom line and I'm constantly dealing with CFOs, CEOs, you know, those are the type of, of people that I'm, I'm working with more and more because of culture being such a big factor and how, you know, real estate uh, merges with that. Mm-hmm. We're, we're seeing more, you know, dealing with HR directors as well in the process. And naturally, you've got to get your headcount information. And there's, right. there's a lot of stuff that always came from the HR part of the business. But now you're seeing that more and more involved in the, the real estate and the real, real estate negotiations yeah. for a company. That's really interesting. That's really interesting to think about. Mm-hmm. I, I, that's fun to take in, you know, have that be the reason why you're doing it and stuff. Yeah, um, you're meeting a lot of a lot of interesting people and you're learning how all of these groups, you know, analyze growth and analyze their, you know, workforce and what they're doing to keep them happy on a on a day-to-day basis. It's uh it's fascinating just getting to know, you know, some of these executives and learning about all these businesses. Yeah, and it, you're actually providing a tangible benefit. There's dollars and cents that go into it like you're yep. helping people achieve their goals by doing that. Um, and I guess your big ask um, for that is give you the time and the opportunity to win that trust and to build that uh, goal there. Don't come in with misaligned expectations like, oh, I want to have you build me a new Sears Tower. I'm not calling it Willis, but I'm calling it Sears Tower. Build me a new <laughs> Sears Tower in six weeks because that's not going to happen. Yeah. So that's um, one thing that anybody who's listening and wants to talk to Craig, I recommend you doing so because uh, he's great. I've actually, this kind of segues into um, just our next topic is I've known Craig for a long time just through being in part of the Chicago startup community. I talked on this podcast numerous times about just like startup weekend and just getting involved here. It's our hometown and everything and being, um, great. And I'm a technical person. It's pretty easy to find different ways to get involved as a technical person. There's a lot of things on meetup that are geared towards the hardcore, like JavaScript or C sharp or this or that, or the other things. Um, I think a lot of times, uh, People find it that are non-technical trying to get into the startup world, especially like technical, like technology startups, they find it difficult to go there. And so first off, I, I would love to talk about just like community and how you as a non-technical person got involved with it, uh, the Chicago startup community. And if you can give any just like just basic advice, like of like what you think somebody should do if they're sitting here listening to this podcast to get involved in maybe the Chicago startup community or the startup community that they're involved or nearby involved with? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, the overarching theme is just getting outside of your comfort zone. I, Which is the, very scary. <laughs> that's why it's called your comfort exactly. zone. I got out of mind by going to different events by myself and forcing myself to go and, and mingle with, with perfect strangers. That's actually how I got to know startup weekend was meeting Adam Hahn 
at one of the you know very early on uh, entrepreneurs unplugged events, which was on coincidentally company culture, and that was way back before it was you know the buzzword yeah. that it is today. And uh, it was one of those. It was early on in those type of events. I think I went to the first ever Technori pitch, and some of these events that you know back then you know, they were happy to get 50 people in the door and now Technori pitches at the Chase Auditorium with right. hundreds and hundreds of people. It's it's awesome to see, you know, where the tech community here is, has gone even just in the past, you know, five to seven years. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty remarkable. Like, I remember, like, just some of the organizations, just like the grassroots stuff. There's things that are put on by different tech firms and stuff, but the grassroots stuff is like always a great, like, low barrier uh, way to get your feet wet. I, I keep using that as an analogy, but it's true. You got to like dip your toe into the pool there. And it's like, it seems like Adam Hahn like, is always going to be a common theme. Cause that's how a lot of people got involved in this tech community from him. Um, so you met him there at one of these events and you obviously didn't stop going to one or two of those events. Like mm-hmm. what else happened? Like what, like what yeah, are the I, did, did you I met him and a number of other people there and then just stayed in touch with them and said, Hey, I'm going to this event you know, on this date, are you going as well? Uh, no, but let me know how it is. And I'd go and, and check it out. And it's just something to spark conversation right. besides the everyday minutia of, you know, hey, what did, how was work today? Oh, yeah. it was great. Everybody says it was great. No. It fucking sucks. Today was horrible. Yeah. <laughs> actually, today was a pretty good day. Today was me. actually yeah. pretty good. Like, <laughs> yeah. But you know but, what I'm saying? Like, we got yeah. yeah. It uh, it helps you really get to know somebody versus it just makes this it like authentic. high level. Yeah. It kind of takes the uh, takes the mask off. That's cool. So like, what was what was your objective the first of it that you went to? Like, what were you trying to do? Just to check it out, see what it was all about. I was I was really interested in in hearing. Uh, I read a lot about uh, Jelly Vision and Amanda Lanert, and she was on that panel for Culture and was excited to. Um, Kind of hear some of the things that they do at Jelly Vision to foster culture, and I one of the things we do is uh, we're big pranksters. Okay, and you know one of the guys went to Hawaii to visit his brother and sent us pictures of a beach, and he came back to his office wrapped in fifty dollars worth of aluminum foil. Uh oh, you know things happen. Don't and, send those pictures too much. Yeah, and I actually ended up I developed a little bit of a relationship with Amanda Lannert by sending her pictures of all these pranks uh, after the, you know, speech on, on culture and tied it sure. into how, you know, how that affects our culture at MB Real Estate. Nice. So for the record, I'm going to ask you this, like, straight up. Are you technical? Like, can you code? Can no. you program or anything like that? No, no, I tried to do one of the, like, first lessons on code academy and like the free version and i couldn't even get the first thing to work okay but you've continued to take and be involved in the tech community here why like do, do you feel that the how did you like break down those barriers because i feel like a lot of like my background is i went to business school so mm-hmm. i have that side of it and you know the math and the marketing side of things but i also know how to take and kind of i know how to code and i can build the way that I say it, it's like I can build you what I'm dreaming because I can. Um, it, it's easy to talk for us, but sometimes, like when people come involved, it's tough for you to talk to somebody super technical. Like, how did you break down that barrier when you went in? It's like, I mean, I think I'm still breaking it down okay. because there's still so much stuff that goes way over my head. But that was 
part of what you know got me interested with hanging out with people like you and other I now have a lot of friends who are chief technology officers mm -hmm. of companies and it's because um it's something that I would love to be able to do right and I I would need to practice it a lot to ever become proficient and I want to learn as much as possible just by being around them so that I can understand that and, and apply it to you know, situations that I get into right. with my business. One of the biggest complaints you hear from uh, technical people is how do they communicate, you know, exactly what they're uh, trying to get across to non-technical people. And that is every company deals with that. Yeah. It is uh, across the board a major problem. And that is why, you know, people who are both technical and, you know, maybe have an MBA or, or business savvy or what would be considered non-technical right. are so valuable in the marketplace because it's somebody that can communicate with both groups and right. really get to the bottom of that. So yeah. that's kind of what I'm what I'm striving for and I think I'm still, you know, getting comfortable in those situations. Yeah, I think it's it takes a while to get comfortable. I mean, even like technical room it's like it can be a little like sometimes I'm like guys it's a little thick in here. We need to uh dial this back down a little <laughs> bit cuz I'm already like Duh. That's way too much code for that. Like, and it's eight o'clock at night. But, like, I think that's a really interesting point to make because, like, you can't be afraid. Like, if you're gonna want to be in a technology startup, you gotta understand how to talk to somebody who writes technology. If you're coming from a non-technical background, and there's a lot of people out here in Chicago. It's it's growing, but this city is mainly sales and marketing, correct? Like, yeah, from the from what you see, like sales, marketing, financial, professionals, a lot services. of research. There's a lot of R and D right. in the pharma community here. It's yeah. huge. Yeah, so that's really cool. So, what um, what events other than the Technori do you continue to be involved with in the community? And maybe just not like startup community. Like, what in just like community in general? Yeah, different things. I actually kind of you know took part of what I you know, learned from Startup Weekend and I helped the American Diabetes Association plan a, a venture challenge. And last year we gave uh, we gave $10,000 away, you know, to the winner and we, we structured a challenge around mm -hmm. certain um, certain areas around diabetes care and management that, that we thought that we could get a, a good number of applicants in to, to focus on. And uh, we're greenlit again. We're, we've got a, uh, our first event coming up in early April and then the venture challenge will be November of this year. We're still working out, you know, the final details on that, but we know it'll be November. November. So it's, yeah. And so it's Turkey time, Turkey time, different, uh, you know, even outside of the startup community, there's, you know, hackathons going on and, and various areas. Yeah. There's a lot to get involved in. Yeah. I mean, it's a great, like, and it goes back to your point. It's a great way to just meet people. You never know what's going to come out of it. And it's always a, I always find that giving time in startup weekend, startup weekends or hackathons or events or going out to these things is great because it's, um, you always want to give of yourself and mm -hmm. not expect anything in return. And then you're blessed bountifully by whatever you take. Into and Chicago it. has a lot of that. It's a very, very much a give first town. Yeah. It's really cool. So, um, I think we've actually hit some of these stuff. So where do you see com this community growing as a uh, startup community? I think it's going to keep rising as more and more, you know, companies have major exits, not, you know, little ones and twos. You're hitting some, some grand slams. Mm -hmm. 
you're going to have those people reinvesting that money, you know, back into the, you know, community. The guys from Acta sold to uh, Salesforce and are now investing in Ellison Eyewear and other, you know, kind of homegrown uh, groups. And, and they're, you know, these aren't people that are, oh, I'm taking my exit and going to the Bahamas for two years. Like they're, or I'm taking they're my looking, exit and going to another city. To yeah, try it. they're, you know, they're loyal. Chicago's in their blood. And you know they're reinvesting that in the community here, and that's that's only going to build the build the financial base even more. Yeah, because I think like one of the uh, the struggles that some people have found, like just in the startup community, we've talked about it over the years, is just the access to early stage capital um, has been difficult over the past years because we haven't had those major exits or like that as happened in the New York markets or you know Texas or even you know, the Bay area. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one of the things that is tough. Like I've had some people that we've known that have had to, um, to just fund those first early stages had to go outside of the Chicago market to take and get funding in now. I mean, you see that it changing more or less now that. Yeah. I think, I think as, as the community here grows and becomes more robust, people that are now getting money from the coast, can easily say to those investors, I'll fly out for, you know, board meetings and to meet with whoever you want, but we're keeping kind of the guts of my company here right. in, in Chicago, you know, where they're going to operate from. And, and it's 50% less on real estate and cost of living is less and yeah. cost of employment is less. There's, there's a lot of factors. There's a, an easy argument to make for keeping a substantial part of your operations here in Chicago, even if you take money from, you know, London. Yeah. And to be honest, if you're working in a software technology company, Chicago's great because what, three months of the year, four months of the year, we get beautiful sunshine, but then that is what, nine to eight months of like peer inside work. Yeah. You don't want to be outside. You don't want to be outside. You want to be inside working. And you have your direct access to Northwestern, Illinois, Michigan, Indiana, Michigan State. This is a huge, huge, you know, pull for the Big Ten. Yeah. And I have a lot of friends that went to MIT, and they all came back here afterward. You have mm -hmm. a, a immense amount of of talent uh, coming out of the universities in the Midwest, and Chicago is is the best city in the Midwest. Yeah, I always think of like a couple of years ago when I first came back and cause I was in the West coast, I saw like the Seattle market and that was very tech driven. There was very mm -hmm. heavy developer focused. Um, and when I came back here and started to do first couple startup weekend events, I figured that it was more business related stuff. So I think the benefit of being here as a developer is great because there's people that need your skill set. But if you're also starting a company and you need some people that are really, really top notch at marketing product, business analysis, business development, sales. Like if you, there's a workforce here that's amazing at it and there's very smart people that are doing it here. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so kind of just like keeping on going on with this, like what are some of like the most fond moments that you've had through your personal involvement uh, in this community? Um, just, you know, after this amount of time, starting to see some of the, you know, results of, you know, people that you've seen along the way and being able to watch, you know, watch the growth yeah. of, you know, individuals and, and companies. There was a researcher from the University of Chicago who came through a startup weekend, found her CTO there, 
um, Dr. Sindhu and Greg went through Startup Weekend, ended up uh, continuing with this project, quit their jobs, uh, got space in, in Matter, now have their pilot program going with a hospital on the north side, and they were in that ADA you know, venture yeah. uh, pitch competition that I helped organize. And it's just amazing that you keep running into a lot of the same people um, throughout your, you know, your day-to-day life. And it's nice to be able to see kind of where they came from and where they're at today and, and where, you know, kind of the future is, uh, future is there. So. Yeah. I think if you would ask me the same question, some of my fond moments actually happened to be, uh, involved with you, um, and startup weekend and your philanthropic efforts that you've helped been able to orchestrate with, uh, the support of MB, um, being that um, you've been able to help give the organization funding um, mm-hmm. and some, you know, much needed dollars to put these events on. Because Startup Weekend is a really great organization. Um, I won't go into too much detail because we've talked about it on this podcast before, but um, it's all volunteer, and so the community support that we've had from your organization and um, your time personally has been amazing. Uh, and it's one of the things that makes me excited to, you know, help out with that and then continue to see other organizations start to help out with it because there's definitely people that are doing a good job that need that support. And that's one of my fond memories. You oh, know? Thank you. And then also like that event where we had to haul the beverages across back to your apartment after uh, <laughs> <laughs> running across Ohio Street. <laughs> I have never seen a keg that we didn't finish. Yeah, that was what is this? We'll put it on the balcony. It'll get done. So <laughs> winter um, time in Chicago, another benefit. It was great. It was, it was amazing, but wasn't it like 60 degrees out that day? <laughs> yeah, probably uh, something like something crazy happened. Um, but I mean, this has been a, this has been a great conversation. Uh, I think that, um, I want to thank you again for being on the podcast. Um, it was an absolute treat and pleasure. I hope you enjoyed your time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, one thing that I like to do as I'm on, as I like to do with this podcast at all times is I like to open the floor to, to my guests that they can share anything they want to share with the audience. So the floor is yours. You, it is yours to share whatever you'd like. I think we, uh, I think we covered it. I'd say, you know, kind of the overarching theme of what I was talking about earlier, keep getting outside your, your comfort zone and, and put yourself out there and great things are going to happen. And, um, you know, good luck to you. Awesome. At Craig McCaw on, uh, on the Twitter. That's yeah. an easy way to get a hold of me. Awesome. I'll put your links and everything um, on the blog post so you can have that there. As Again, as I like to do with also my guests, too, is I like to give my t- a token of my appreciation for being on the show, too. So let me get this here and give this to you here. Craig, thank you for being on the show. Um, if you could take a second and tell everybody what I just handed you. Uh, um it is a, uh, an entire day hiking uh, 1% for trails, Snoqualmie re- region, and the Cascade Foothills uh, trail book. That's awesome. Uh, and I think you did you, some research and found that I like to hike. Yeah, and I think if you open up the front cover, you'll see something in there. <laughs> Craig, life is full of ups and downs, but it is the journey that we remember most. Thanks for the support. 
and being on the show, Patrick. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks autograph, for having me. Autograph copy of the Snoqualmie region day hiking. You know, yeah. going out the door. It's awesome. It's gonna be worth a lot of money one day. Oh yeah, it's autographed. It's I didn't write any words in there. So again, uh, thank you again for joining us for this episode of the Opinionated Stance podcast. Let me tell you one thing: Craig is watching you on the internet, so he wants you to take and go and subscribe <laughs> to the YouTube channel. You gotta take and subscribe to that iTunes, otherwise he's gonna be very sad. Follow us on Twitter, uh, Facebook. Um, go to the website, opinionatedstance.com. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, uh, show ideas, please reach out. You can send me a fax. I don't have a fax machine. You can send me mail. I don't know where it's going to go. Um, we always love to hear feedback from our listeners. And again, thank you for listening to the shows. And do me a favor. Check out some of the other shows that we have there with other Chicago startup leaders and great people. Um, until next time, thank you again. Uh, we are out. Thank you. <laughs>